Well, good morning. Nice to see you all on a beautiful July day. Let's uh, begin with prayer as we get ready to look into the Word together. Lord, your holiness is awesome, as we've sung about this morning. Your mercy is great. We acknowledge you and we worship you. Thank you for the time we've had in worship together already. And Lord, thank you for your word that is a delight to our souls when we're open to it. You've said it does not return to you void. We pray that as it goes forth now, that it would accomplish its work in each one of our hearts here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, the Olympics have started. How many of you have watched at least a little bit of the last couple days of the Olympics? Probably most of you. Well, I get uh, fascinated by it. I enjoy watching it, the competition and all that goes on. One thing that struck me yesterday, though, was the incredible pressure there is to perform. Thinking in particular of one Chinese gymnast who has to, perf- has to succeed for his country, for the honor of his country. And uh, his hand slipped through the ring and virtually disqualified him for any chance of at least an all-around medal and, uh, and just the crushed look on his face. And there's tremendous pressure to perform, but not only to perform, but to always keep improving and to do better in the Olympics. You know, it isn't just winning that's important, but it's setting a new world record. And so there's pressure to always up the standard and go higher, to climb upward, to get ahead of where you were before. We all feel that, don't we? Our culture is obsessed with getting ahead, moving on from where we have been. Where I I am now may be okay, but in five years I need to be ahead of where I am, either economically, a bigger house, a better car. Somehow we've got to move ahead in life. That really seems to be the guiding principle of our culture in America, the idea of progress. You know, our gross national product, if it isn't moving ahead every year, then it's catastrophe. It's horrible. We have the sense we have to keep moving ahead. Our technology has to keep advancing. We want better products. We want cheaper products, things that can do more. We want medicines that will heal more. And we, this idea of progress drives us in our culture. And it drives us socially as well. We have to move ahead. We feel this pressure that we need to Keep moving on. Keep climbing up the ladder. Well, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus confronts some of the primary social climbers of his day. He shows us that getting ahead, moving on, progressing in life, economically and socially and in all these other ways, may be a principle of the world, but it is not a principle of the kingdom of God of which all of us are now, today, a part if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are citizens of a new country, the kingdom of God, and therefore we live by different rules than the world around us, at least we're supposed to. And Jesus in Luke chapter 14 confronts the social climbers of his day and shows that the guiding principle of the kingdom of God is not upward mobility, it's downward 
mobility. It's going down to get higher with the Lord. So as we look together in the scriptures, I just ask you to consider before the Lord, where are you trying to move upward rather than following in the footsteps of our Lord and going down? Let's look together. Chapter 14 of Luke. We'll be looking at the first 14 verses. Let me just read the first six to set our, uh, our setting here. And it came about when he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, that they were watching him closely. And behold, in front of him was a certain man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And Jesus said to them, Which one of you shall have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. It says here that Jesus was invited to lunch at the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. Now, leaders, to be a leader of the Pharisee, that meant you were part of the Sanhedrin. It was the ruling council of the entire nation of Israel. It was a little bit like being on President Clinton's executive council to be one of the top dogs in the country. That's who this Pharisee was. He was a bigwig. He was one of the stars of the country. And notice it says... Jesus came into his house to eat bread. They were watching him closely, and in front of him was a man with dropsy. Now, this was a congressional dinner, so to speak. Only the bigwigs were there. Why was this man with dropsy at this place? It was a setup. The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, so they brought this guy in, drug him in to see what he would do. It's a Sabbath day. If he heals, he's breaking the law. And see, according to the rabbinical laws of the day, the pharisaical laws, you could only help someone on the Sabbath if it was a life or death matter. That was the only person you could help, according to the rabbinic laws. Now, the Old Testament didn't say that, but that's what the Pharisees followed. And they were going to see if Jesus betrayed that because they brought a man with dropsy. Dropsy is what we would call edema in our day. It's just a swelling of the body tissues because of uh, retention of fluid. And it's uncomfortable, it's painful, there's different degrees of it. It's a difficult thing, but it's not life-threatening necessarily. But it's very visible if you have it in your face in various places, your body's swollen. So they brought him in, so it was obvious he was there, but it wasn't life-threatening, and they wanted to see what Jesus would do. It was a setup. And notice Jesus' response. He says, hey, is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath? Notice he says, is it lawful? I think in his mind he's drawing a distinction and he wants them to draw a distinction between the law of the Old Testament and the rabbinical laws. Because the Old Testament said, don't work on the Sabbath, but it didn't say anything about healing being part of that. But the rabbis had taken that further. So he challenges them. He heals the man. They don't know what to say. And then he says, and besides, guys, let me expose your hypocrisy. 
If your son or your ox fell into a well, wouldn't you pull him out anyway? You see, he's just exposing their hearts, their pride, their arrogance, that they gathered at this meal to try to challenge him, to try to put him down. This visiting rabbi who thinks he's one of the bigwigs, well, we'll show him. We'll put him in his place. Their response in verse 6 is they could make no reply. I think it's very ironic that it's a man with dropsy who's swollen, who Jesus heals. And these Pharisees and lawyers who are swollen with pride won't even come to Jesus for healing themselves. In fact, they're so concerned about condemning Jesus, they don't even notice he just did a miracle right in front of their faces. They're just angry that they didn't get their way, that their little plot didn't work. Isn't that the way pride works, though? Isn't that what happens with social climbers? When we try to get ahead, we have to compare ourselves to other people, and in the long run, we have to put others down, be critical of them. We have to do what we can to put them behind us, because how do you get ahead unless you push somebody behind you? And that's what they were doing. Others become merely tools for ourselves to get ahead. If you begin looking around at our culture, it's obvious, wherever you look, that people function this way in the world, trying to get ahead of others. I think William Agee of MK is a good example who pushed his way ahead and didn't work out so well, did it? But you become consumed by exalting, for, with exalting yourself at the expense of others. And what's interesting to me is we're all this way, right? You go to a pastor's conference. I've been to a number of pastor's conferences. It's really interesting to listen to the conversation. You know, you'll walk up to somebody and you'll say, hey, how are you? What my name is? And you start chatting and you say, where do you live? And, and you say, oh, what kind of church do you work with? What denomination? And always about the fourth, fifth question is, How many people go to your church? Why do pastors ask that? I've done it. It's kind of like, well, where do I fit in the pecking order here? You know, is my church bigger than yours? Well, well, my church has... Or, oh, he's one of the bigwigs, huh? He's in a big church. and Okay, well, I'm kind of down here then. We put ourselves in this little pecking order. We all do it, don't we? Because we're so concerned about exalting ourselves. It's a natural thing for all of us. Well, Jesus goes on in the next few verses to challenge that attitude of exalting self, of comparing ourselves, of trying to get ahead. Let me read verses 7 through 11. He's continuing at this dinner, this luncheon he's been invited to, and he began to speak a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. And he was saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you have been invited by him, and he who invited you both shall come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you're invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. Notice verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. 
Now, the setting is, again, this dinner. And apparently in their day, when you came to a dinner like that, there were enough places at the table for everyone, and there was a place of honor. And then everyone knew once the most honored person sat down where they were all to sit. They would look around when they came in the room and figure out where they fit and take their position according to who was most honored. I was talking to Nicholas Ivans, and he said they do that in China still. When you have some kind of banquet among traditional Chinese, the person with the most honor sits opposite the door. That's probably so he can always see who's coming in and, and uh, protect himself if anyone's out to get him, I guess. Um, and then everybody else sits in a, basically assigned seats according to that, uh, the pecking order. So is Jesus just telling us, hey, when you're eating at someone's house, you know, don't push ahead, but just kind of take, you know, the right seat? I don't think so. Notice what Luke says at the beginning. He says, he began to speak a parable. Now, a parable is a story designed to teach a deeper spiritual truth. This is not a story just about having dinner with someone. It's illustrating a much deeper principle, which we see in verse 11, stated very clearly by Jesus. Everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. So it begins with this principle and says, everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. So the question is, what does it mean to exalt ourselves? What's he talking about? Because those are the ones that will be humbled. Well, the idea of exalting yourself means to lift yourself above others, put yourself above others, promote yourself, comes out of comparing yourself to others. And once you begin to think about this, as I've thought about it in my own life in the last week, there are hundreds of ways in which we do this, aren't there? Ways in which we, you know, when I've done something good that no one knows about, I feel like, gosh, that was a good deed. I feel a compulsion that I have to tell somebody. They need to know. I want people to think I'm wonderful. Ways in which we are critical of others, put others down by the way we talk. And I think we do that because then we feel better about ourselves. We feel more exalted than they are. We pushed ourselves ahead of them. We like to hang around with the important people. Makes us feel important too. Or maybe when you go into a social setting, you say, well, they're the important ones. I'll hang out with people that are like me. It's all part of this pecking order idea, though. It's seeking that, that higher place for ourselves. Getting the new car, not because we really need it, but because it's got the new design so everyone will know, you know, we got the new one. I, I, I got the new car. I got the new clothes, the new fashions or whatever. Feeling like we need to impress others by what we say or do, that pressure that we feel to exalt ourselves. And we do this too, don't we, as Christians? There's few of us, as I've seen in the body of Christ, and I'm speaking in general, few of us really want to change diapers in the nursery. Most of us would rather teach an adult class or do something where you get to be up front Few of us want to take just a small class of kids and pour our lives into them and love them in a Sunday school class. More of us would like to do something impressive and maybe because we don't get to, we just kind of sit and are angry that we're not asked to do important, 
jobs. It comes out in everything we do. I've been pastoring for 15 years. I've ministered in four different churches. And I admit there's times that I have felt a twinge. Lord, four different churches, and I've always been an associate pastor. How come I'm not a senior pastor somewhere, Lord? How arrogant. I love what I'm doing. I love my ministry. I love being here. But there's this insidious part of us that wants to exalt ourselves and put ourselves above others. We want the exciting ministries, not the ones where we love the homeless and the handicapped and the hurting that no one will ever know about, no one will ever see. But it says if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. And we will. God is faithful to keep his promise. It may not be in this life. It may be at the end of our lives. But often it's in this life, isn't it? That when we try to push ahead, God somehow humbles us. The book of Kings, First and Second Kings, are wonderful stories about kings who tried, when they pushed themselves ahead, God humbled them and had to break them down and show that life is not that way. The principle of the kingdom of God is when you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. This fall, or excuse me, last spring, my wife and I had the opportunity to teach the moms group here at church on a Friday morning, and we were excited about it, and it was on parenting, and we really like parenting. We, we like what we know about it. We'd like to share that and share these principles with people, and we were just feeling great about this, and we came that morning. We, uh, they had some preliminary things, and then we had a little break before it was our turn to come up. And so I went to the restroom, feeling pretty good about all the things I was going to share and bless these 80 women with, okay, 80 moms. I did my thing, and my zipper stuck. Now, if you've done any public speaking and you're a guy, you know that's one of your fears, is that somehow you're going to get caught with your zipper down somehow. And so there I was, struggling with the zipper, feeling, Lord, what are you doing? Come on, I have all these great things to share. And I'm wrestling with the Lord and talking to the Lord. And this literally went on for about 10 minutes. I could not get my zipper to move. So finally, my prayer said, okay, Lord, I realize I can do nothing without you. I can't fix the zipper. I can't teach. I can't do anything unless you help me, Lord. Please, Lord. (laughs) And it went right up. (laughs) Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. (laughs) And I thank God for his grace that he does do that often with us because he loves us so much in subtle little ways rather than the big ways. But he says, instead of exalting yourself, he says, he who humbles himself shall be exalted. What he calls us to do is to humble ourselves. What does that mean? What does it look like to really humble ourselves? Well, in the story that Jesus tells, he says to humble yourself means to take the lowest seat, the very last one, Go to the bottom. Not where do I fit in, 
and go there. Go to the very bottom. Take the last seat, the the lowest seat. Now, humbling yourself does not mean kind of this, you know, false humility. You know people like that. Oh, I'm so awful. I don't have anything to offer anybody. You do it. You're just so much more wonderful and gifted than I am. I just, I don't have anything to offer. You're great. I'm not. I'm terrible. I can't do anything right. You see, that's not humility, is it? That just puts pressure on you to feel like you have to build that person up, right? Here's what C.S. Lewis says about it that I think is so profound. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people in our world call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. You see, that's a picture of true humility. You don't have to worry about yourself. Therefore, you're free to care for others and to take the lowest seat and not even worry about it. So how do we get there? What does it mean to humble ourselves? Let me give you three principles that I think are how we humble ourselves. First, compare yourself to God, not to others. You see... Exalting yourself comes out of comparing yourself to everybody else, right? Where do I fit in and trying to get above others and that kind of thing? And you can't win doing that. That's a game that you can't win, and it's exalting yourself every time. But when you start comparing yourself to a holy, righteous, loving, perfect God, then you're in the right place. Then you will begin to be truly humble. Then you will begin to be what God's called you to be. First Peter verses 6 and 7 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And catch the next verse, Casting all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. You see, humbling yourself means looking at the Lord, seeing he is mighty and awesome and holy, and I deserve nothing. Yet he loves me, and I can cast all my cares upon him. He will exalt me at the right time. I don't have to do it. I'm free. I'm free from having to play all those silly, stupid social games that we play wherever we go. Because I've compared myself to God, and I know he loves me. C.S. Lewis again. In God, you come up against something which is, in every respect, immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God is that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. 
The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or see yourself as a small, dirty object. It's better to forget, forget about yourself altogether. So you want to know how to become humble, how to humble yourself? First, compare yourself to God, not to others. Secondly, look to Jesus as your example. Look to Jesus as your example. The mighty creator of the universe became one of us. And how did he reveal himself? As a tiny baby in a stable, smelly stable, born to poverty-stricken teenage parents. How did he reveal himself as Messiah for the first time? He wandered up and stood in line waiting to be baptized with a bunch of people who were repenting of their sins. He identified with them and ultimately with us. How did he live his life? Washing people's feet. Did he ever once exalt himself? Not that I can think of. He humbled himself, we're told in the book of Philippians chapter 2, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, to obey even to the point of death. See Jesus as your example. He never exalted himself. He always took the lower seat. He always went down. He took the downward way, the descending way, in everything he did. Henry Nouwen describes it this way. God, who created the universe in all its splendor, decided to reveal to us the mystery of the divine life by becoming flesh in a young woman living in a humble village on one of the small planets of God's own creation. Jesus' life is marked by an always deeper choice of what is small, humble, poor, rejected, and despised. Everything in me wants to move upward. Downward mobility with Jesus goes radically against my inclinations, against the advice of the world around me, and against the culture of which I am a part. But that's the principle of the kingdom, is downward mobility, choosing the lower seat. My third principle of how to humble yourself, first, compare yourself to God, look to Jesus as your example, and then thirdly, choose the lower seat in your relationships with others. Choose downward mobility. Let others praise you. Don't praise yourself. Proverbs 27 says, Let others praise you. Don't let your own lips do it. Look for ways to serve in quiet, hidden ways. Choose to teach a Sunday school class, even if nobody knows about it. Quietly serve. Two weeks ago in the first service, I don't think this service got to see it, there was a baptism of a little boy who had given his life to Christ. And the story was told of Don Young, one of our Sunday school teachers who had chosen to just teach Sunday school. He's taught for years. And there was one little boy who was nobody really liked, who was off by himself. And Don chose to reach out to him. 
in various ways, have him over, really love this little boy and care for him until finally after quite some time of loving that little boy that no one else knew about, he gave his life to Christ and he had the privilege of being part of his baptism two weeks ago here. Choose the downward way. Choose the lowest seat and let God exalt you at the proper time. He will do it. Ray Stedman said, there is no end to the love you can, um, to the good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. No end to the good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. Stephen in the scriptures is a good example. He was full of the Holy Spirit, we're told, and he was asked to serve tables. So he did it with a humble heart. God exalted him, gave him the first martyr of the early church, was able to proclaim Christ in front of all the Jews. You see, God blessed him and exalted him. Then the last principle comes out of this last section, 12 through 14. Let me read that. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, to really humble yourself, you need to believe that God will exalt you at the proper time. So Jesus tells this story and he says, don't look for repayment now. Rather, love those who can't repay you and trust God to repay you and exalt you at the right time. And you will be moving towards true humility. Don't seek to meet your needs now. Don't seek payback. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. That's the way of the world, right? You're a fool if you don't get something out of it, whatever you're doing. Jesus says, no, taking the lowest seat means you trust me to exalt you at the proper time and you do not seek a seat that is exalted. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let him exalt you. So instead of exalting yourself, trust him to take care of you. You see, the principle of the kingdom is take the downward way, the lower way. Seek to reach out in love to those who can't repay you. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You can trust his word. It may not be in this life. It may not be till the next. But he will exalt you. So let him repay you. Don't seek it yourself. That's the principle of the kingdom. To take the descending way, the downward mobility, not the upward mobility. And as we live that way, we'll stand against the world around us and be a light in the darkness as people push and climb over one another. As you take the lowest place, God will bless. I want to close by reading one last section from C.S. Lewis. And as I read, I want you to just to quietly meditate. And then we'll have some silent time of prayer before the Lord. 
And then I'll close in prayer, and then we'll just leave. We won't sing a closing song. We'll just leave after I pray. I hope this week is a week where you will see ways to seek the downward way of Christ. C.S. Lewis writes, The point is, God wants you to know him. He wants to give you himself. And he and you are two things of such a kind that if you really get into any kind of touch with him, you will, in fact, be humble, delightedly humble, feeling the infinite relief of having once for all got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and unhappy all your life. He is trying to make you humble in order to make this moment possible, trying to take off a lot of silly, ugly, fancy dress in which we've all got ourselves up and are strutting about like the little idiots we are. I wish I had got a bit further with humility myself. If I had, I could probably tell you more about the relief, the comfort of taking the fancy dress off, getting rid of the false self with all its, look at me, and aren't I a good boy, and all its posing and posturing, To get even near humility, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert. Take a moment and just pray.